everyone and welcome to RVEM. My name is Christina Schreider and I'm so happy to have here amazing men and professionals from RV industry. And I want to thank you, Phil Ingracia, for such an honor and to be our first guest. I'm really excited and I can't wait to ask you all the questions I have. And again, thank you, Larry McNamara, um, CEO of Giant Recreation World. And again, always pleasure to see you and do some podcast with you. So um, we do have a couple questions for you, right, uh, Phil? So we're kind of putting you on the spot right now. And I think we can start with Larry. He actually have a couple questions as well. So, Well, absolutely. And uh, see, I'm, I'm asking from the dealer's point of view, kind of. Uh, and uh, what's great about you being on, on our or involved at all is that you have uh, so much more knowledge or access to more knowledge than we do. But uh, so I'm, I'm really wondering if uh, the pains and, and happiness that I'm feeling from the RV industry itself is common, you know, across the whole country. Uh, I know in Florida, we're not really shut down. So I think we have it better. But uh, with all that being said, uh, speaking of COVID, what uh, specific impact do you see affecting the RV dealerships in the month ahead? Do you think we're going to stay on that wave? Well, I think that all indications right now from the dealer surveys that we've been doing every month show that the demand is still quite strong. Uh, people still have very limited options for overseas travel. Many people are not comfortable with other types of vacations. And, you know, what is more safe than camping right now? Very few things. So, you know, that is important. You know, we have had a COVID boom here, but I think also the long-term benefits of camping uh, that we've seen over the last 10 years, that will continue. I think it's sustainable. Uh, and, you know, the benefits of, of being with your family, the flexibility to go where you want, when you want, to sleep in your own bed, all those things are still very, very strong and will continue to sustain this moving forward, I believe. And, and most of the dealers seem to do that, to, to believe that as well. I mean, one of the things I look at when people ask me, so what do the dealers think are going, is going to happen? Well, where are they putting their money? They're expanding facilities all across the country, both sales facilities and service facilities. They're hiring more people. The dollar volume of dealerships has really increased over the past 10 years. I mean, if you look at what you were doing in 2010 and you look what your 2020 numbers are, Larry, I'm sure that they're you know, much more substantial. It's unbelievable. So, yeah, Big so most time, dealers yeah. have gotten bigger and they are investing money, not only in, in, uh, in their current facilities, but look at what's going on with acquisitions and things like that. So I think the, the long-term prognosis for RV travel and RV sales is very, very strong. And again, you know, the old saying, follow the money, look what's going on in the industry. And I think people are, are well aware that we're not just uh, going to have a COVID bump and that's going to be it. I think there's uh, a lot of things ahead of us that are uh, going to be good for the industry. Well, that is good for me to hear being a dealer. Uh, <laughs> I know one of the things uh, I'm trying to do in response to all the the, the uptick that we're seeing uh, is in, increase our service primarily. I, uh, 
I pretty much, I know if I could get more units, I could sell more. But every time we sell, add to our, uh, our, our increase in sales, our service uh, capacity is uh, overwhelmed. And I feel it's a, a bad thing, uh, not being able to get people in the shops any quicker than we're able to. I mean, I've done a lot of things uh, to try and curb some of that. I mean, when we do a customer show before they take their physical delivery, I schedule a 30-day appointment uh, for them to come back with a punch list. Now, if they came back the next week, I can't see them. Uh, even if their air conditioner or something serious broke, uh, I just can't. So uh, we try to explain that initially, tell them that's why we're giving you this 30-day appointment that's not mandatory, but uh, know this right now, if you call, we're two and a half months out, you know, before our next appointment. That's unacceptable to me if I were my own customer, you know, so I'm working towards uh, to that end. And I think that's what dealerships all around the country should do in lieu of expanding sales and all that. Although if you buy new facilities, that's another service facility you can utilize. Uh, so during the growth period, if you have other, other facilities like us, we could uh, share work. So those are all kind of things that I'm trying to plan on doing. You know, if other dealers are looking to do that too? Yeah, absolutely. We've seen a number of uh, new service facilities launched just within the last uh, few months this spring. And, uh, you know, it, it certainly is a big issue. And one of the things at RVDA we talk about a lot, and you may have heard this term, repair event cycle time. Mm -hmm. How long does it take from when the customer drops it off Till the time they pick it up and, and go down the road. And we've got to narrow that, especially with these new buyers um, who have a more automotive mentality when it comes to service, you know, drop it off, pick it up that day. Well, we know that isn't the case a lot of times with RVs. Some of it is out of the dealer's direct control. I mean, right now, and it's not just the RV business, but there's all kinds of issues with supply chain of parts, uh, you know, components of uh, refrigerators, all kinds of things. And it's not just RV. So customers, you know, if you explain it to them, they may be um, a little bit more accepting of it. However, you know, that's not gonna be the way it is forever. So we gotta continue to work on, on reducing that, you know, that repair event cycle time. Some of it, as you noted, Larry, is up to the dealer. I mean. The capacity issue, you know, you can control that to a certain extent, but it's also a training issue, right? I mean, are, are we giving our service writers and advisors all the tools that we can and training them to deal with customers, to set expectations correctly? And do they have the, the software tools? And do they have the connections with the with the suppliers and, and all, all these things. It's, it's a really tough issue because there are so many points in the process where a failure can lead to kind of a disaster, right? So, you know, it's the communication with the, the techs. Are they being told that what are, have they really isolated what the real issue is? And then is it a trip killer? Mm -hmm. The kind of issue that the unit's unusable or is it something that, look, you know, you can still use your unit, Mr. and Mrs. RVer. We'll get to this when we can, when we get this part. Um, so there's so many levels and it's so complex. And I really, you know, I really think that the people on the service and parts side of the business, both at the dealership level 
and and some of our folks at the at the manufacturers, you know, they are really really have a tough job right now. Um, but you know, we got to work together. We've got to communicate better with each other, and then we also need to talk to the customer in a way that you know gives them the reality of the situation because the best surprise is no surprise a lot of times right if you if you're told okay here's what the situation is here's what we need to do here's where we think we can get it done here's our best guess so that we're not over promising and under delivering to the consumer because that's where you really get into uh, a problem and i know that some consumers and you know some people are just going to have unrealistic expectations but the the, the, if we can if we can bring those expectations better in line with our reality, I think you know we'll have happier customers down the road. And again, they'll buy again and tell their friends to buy again. If I can jump on that as well, here's the thing: first-time buyer and you know new generation, they don't understand necessarily why is it you know, you know that we're using so many different OEMs in one unit. You know they used to buy cars. That's a different story, right? So they look at this as a car. So yes, and a goal point, you know, to you guys. So if we do have an extra, you know, education when it comes to when you buy RV, especially right now during the this time, what to expect and explain to them, okay, um, refrigerator is one OEM, TV it's a different OEM. So there's a lot of things involved. And so the customer maybe will be more, you know, like comfortable and okay with take their eat somewhere. You know, don't have to bring it and stuck in the service and wait for a handle to be fixed. You know what I mean? We had a cases like that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, you know, but I think you're right. Let's go back to, you know, communication. I think that's a new thing we need to adapt in this industry, right? So everybody started to communicate with each other. And have right. And, and, you know, technology is going to help too. I think, you know, we keep seeing that the um, there's new, um, you know, back-end systems that the manufacturers are rolling out to help. Um, the DMS providers, the dealer management software providers are upgrading their, their uh, uh, back-end systems that dealers use. And, you know, it's, it's a never-ending uh, story, sort of. You know, it's, it's, it's a marathon to get to the, to the finish line. But I think that uh, some of the conversations that we've had through RVDA, with RVIA folks, with the manufacturers and the dealers and the in whatever groups, I think there is a, there is a, at least we're talking about repair right. and cycle time, which wasn't even in the conversation five or six years ago. You know, you mentioned technology and it is, it's a lot of different shifts. We already talked about, you, know, you and I talked about, it's a five years gap, right? So, and that's a big deal. So also it comes back to like, if, if we adopt new technology, we have to, right? And we have to also make sure training is proper Right, and everybody understanding what are we doing and being alignment. Speaking of that, so my question for you, how much do you think is gonna be shift in technology? Well, I think that a lot of people are getting more used to, you know, doing things online, whether it's a, a, a remote type of a, a walkthrough of a unit to, you know, doing most of your research on dealer websites and then maybe just going to one or two where it used to be five or six. Right. Um, so I think that the dealers that are, you know, on that wave are probably set up for better success than those that are kind of, well, we'll go back to doing it the old way. Um, especially with these new younger buyers, they're much more um, 
you know, digital natives, so to speak, so that they're ready to, they're ready to interact with you. You know, they don't want you to call them. They would rather have you text, right? Yeah. And, you know, even older folks are getting like that too. So, you know, why is somebody calling me? I'd rather have a text. So, but the, the key, I think too, is you get into the training and the people part of the business, because I don't know that we'll ever pull that out, you know, as digitally great as we get, it still takes somebody to send a text and it still takes somebody to check out the unit and all that kind of stuff. So I think, you know, the digital part is, is a great tool, but it's certainly not going to replace a lot of the interaction that the dealerships have to have, that the good dealerships do with good people. And, and those team members are so important in sales, service, parts, and in the F&I office too, because that's another one that's a little difficult sometimes to do digitally at this point. Now, it's not saying that they we, we haven't made improvements in that area, but still there's there's things that have to be done face-to-face -face when you're talking about people's finances that uh, that you just can't replicate digitally. People still buy from people, right? People still gonna come and touch the unit. They're still gonna make sure there's, you know, some engagement. And I believe our job is to build good rapport, you know, before they visit us instead of just pushing them into old, you know, style. Okay, you guys gonna come into dealerships and that's when we're gonna talk to you. New buyers don't like that, they don't use it. You know, they don't purchase like this. You know, they don't do any, they don't communicate like this. So, and you mentioned uh, digital retailers. So how do you feel about that? Well, I mean, in some respects, we are seeing more of that. And it, it does, uh, that some people have referred to it as the commoditization of the RVs. Um, it still is a dip, more difficult task. You know, I think uh, the Go RVing study showed that most people still would rather go touch, feel the dealership, go at the, to the dealership and buy the unit. And so, uh, you know, with floor plans and different things, it, it can be really difficult, even with the best website and the best virtual tour to say, boy, I'm going to plunk down, you know, 27.5 on this trailer or whatever, whatever it is, or more on a motorhome, whatever it is. So people really do want to go, go see it for the most part. There are others that have already seen the new unit. They know the stock, they know everything about it and they're ready just to go get it. So again, you're going to have to be flexible, identify the kind of buyer you have, I think. And um, I think most of them will reveal themselves as you know, how needy are they? How much really do they need to come in, show the wife, show the husband, show the kids, show their parents, their friends who might be camping with them? I mean, it, it's, you know, people always ask me, okay, you know, the trade press or the business press calls and say, well, what's the average RVer? Well, boy, if you ever meet the average RVer, right. I sure would like to meet them because they all have different motivations for buying the unit, right? So and Larry, you know, you could answer this question, but right. you've seen this industry go through a lot of different phases, right? And the dealers that have been successful for the long term, by and large, not 100%, are full service dealers, right? I mean, Absolutely. they're the ones that can sustain it through the years, right? Yep. I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. Especially in downturns. Uh, that's when, uh, customer service and all that's more important to you than anything. Uh, 
also, just like you said, I don't believe the RV industry is ever going to go to like a, a Carvana or not anytime soon. But I do see uh, technology being used more and more. I think it's going to be probably like more FaceTime conversations initially from a customer to a salesperson or even a service writer or tech, uh, just because there's still the need, I think, for a, a relationship to be created. And I don't think, I think people are too savvy or should I, you know, I don't know, lazy. I don't know. But uh, the young kids today, they would prefer meeting online. And then if they like you, they'll come and see you. Right. And the, the potentials for being more efficient too, in some respects. I mean, think about it this way. You do a, a video service visit and a person takes their phone and actually shows you what the issue is. And you can say, well, look, don't, you don't need to haul this in here. And I don't have to have it on my lot for three weeks, right. taking up space and who knows what else. So, so, and they can enjoy know, go camping it, still with some stuff, right? They don't right. have to sit and wait and complain. Right. Unless it's like, you know, one of the, the, the trip killers, you know, where they can't use the unit. You can say, look, you can live with that or whatever. You don't need to bring it in and take it out of service for for weeks on a time just for that issue and we'll get the part ordered and it's not wasting your lot attendance time it's not wasting all the other things that go on uh, when somebody has to bring in a unit and it sits waiting to get fixed you know you mentioned right now the uh, customer retention right and now we know right now it's more than ever it's very much important you know loyalty and customer service you know like what your outlook on that? Well, you know, I think that the best, you know, the most dissatisfied customers from previous surveys were people who bought a used unit from a private individual who never knew what to do. They were the most likely to leave the industry and most likely to badmouth the industry because they were never properly checked out of the unit. They were never properly showed how to use the systems or anything like that. So, you know, that's where the dealers, you know, I see this time and time again, where the people have had uh, families that have bought dealers for generations because they were taken care of correctly. And I think dealers that cultivate that in their, in their market are, are going to be the dealers that, that uh, are most successful and, and stick around the longest. The dealerships that stick around are typically your full service dealerships that, that do a good job and, uh, and keep the customers happy on the service side of the house. So services, service is important with RVs, as we all know. Is there any like key steps, you know, like or something exactly like you will suggest, let's say we have to choose three and you can tell the dealerships, you know, hey guys, you're going to do A, B and C. Without that, you're not going to get retention. You cannot show loyalty to customers, and it's a losing game. Is it anything like that? You have like three valid points. So, do yeah, any, anybody out there doing anything that caught your eye? That hey, that's a good idea. Maybe right. maybe the RVIA can or DA can share that with the dealer body. You know. Well, there's yeah. I mean, there's a lot of different things that are going on out there right now. I think that you know dealers using. Uh, using their, their web presence correctly, um, providing the, as much information. I think the dealer websites have, have really uh, improved 
thanks to a lot of good vendors, but also just uh, the, the sophistication of the dealership personnel as well and integration so that, you know, you've got fresh inventory up there all the time. Um, you've got all the phone numbers, all the email addresses, you introduce them to staff. You know, there's gotten so much better. So that's really important along with the digital marketing tools that every, you know, that many of the dealers have access to. So your, your, your customer acquisition costs, all right, to get a little, I don't know, wonky yeah. about it, but your, but your cu customer acquisition costs are going down. Dealers are much more efficient in bringing people to the, to the lot, but then you've got the people. If you don't, if you've got people that aren't well-trained, aren't enthusiastic, that's, that's the, you know, it all can fall apart there. And then you can have all the greatest salespeople in the world, but if your service department doesn't, and parts, and F and I, and those back end parts don't don't uh, do a good job, then you, you're losing it there. And that's the you know that's the tough part of the dealership. It's like running a restaurant in some respects, right? You, it's it's constant every day. You got to you got to do it the you got to do it good every day, and that's really really hard to do and that's why I respect you know people like Larry and and the other dealers out there that have been doing it for so long because you know people change things change and um, you know the product changes and you have to keep up with it I mean it, when I got in the business it was bigger 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 everything had to be bigger all the time you know and the industry shifted we did a pivot and now, you know, the mid-priced and entry-level travel trailers are, are really dominating the volume. And, and dealers had to kind of do a little shift there and welcome these younger buyers. And I don't know how many times I've heard over the last year, especially during the pandemic, how different the buyers are. So what I see you saying is through the website, right? You gotta, we got to educate our customers, right? We're gonna show some transparency, but giving information up front, right? The prices, how they can contact us, what's um, unit involved, and you know, give more information about it, right? Also, customer experience online and offline. And lastly, you said trainings, right? The training of the staff to actually, you know, tell the full story. So that will help us to, as a, you know, dealerships, as a for retention, for customer loyalty, and for the trust factor. Well, I might be showing my age, but uh, it also <laughs> no, way, me. way, way back. I remember uh, Tom Corson, the founder of Coachman Industries, told me once, he said, uh, you know, business goes where it's invited and stays where it's well cared for. You know, I think that's exactly what you're saying. And it holds true to this day, you know, although it's yeah. a whole lot easier for people not to need you until the time comes. But when they do, if you're if you're not going to be there for them, they won't come back. I'm gonna I'm gonna go legal on you and ask you because of your uh, your knowledge and such. I think we uh, are there any regulatory or, or legislative matters that we have to uh, look out for recent on the recent uh, horizon with the new regime. Well, let me start out with some good news, and the good news is that many dealers. Um, helped support the Great American Outdoors Act last year, which provided much needed funding for some of our public lands, uh, National Park Service, U.S. Forest Service campgrounds. Um, and I was just on a meeting this week 
where some of these first projects funded by this new bill are, are starting to hit the drawing board and, and start to move forward. And I'm happy to report that most of the money being spent is in areas that will help RVers. And what am I talking about? Roads, parking lots, campground, not only campground facilities, but also the septic systems and the sewer systems that support those. So that's some really good news. And um, RV dealers, along with the RV manufacturers, suppliers, and the whole outdoor recreation community got behind that bill and provided full funding for some of these um, projects through the revenues from oil and gas leases on public lands. So while we are still extracting um, from the resource, that money is going back to help the resource sustain not only you know, the beauty of it, but also to support the visitors that deserve to go there, right? So that's, that's good news. But uh, with that being said, how about uh, any major uh, trends or something that you see, like maybe our RVs going to have to go electric? I mean, that's another concern I've been having. Well, that's really interesting. And, you know, we're going to see later this summer with the um, mass production of electric uh, pickup trucks with mm -hmm. Rivian on the horizon, uh, a few others, and, and you know, their towing capacity and things like that. So, you know, they keep promising that these, these electric vehicles are going to have enough to tow um uh, you know, RVs. So that's going to be very important, not only for, you know, RVs, but anybody who tows recreational equipment around, whether it's power sports, marine, RV, um, you know, work trucks. So I think that the electric vehicle makers, whether they're the new upstarts or the traditional big three uh, automakers, you know, they know that they need to have sufficient towing capacity to maintain their market. Otherwise, they'll be losers because towing has become mainstream. I mean, just look at, you can't turn on a sporting event and see, and not see truck commercials. And what are they doing? They're always towing something, it could boat, RV or whatever. So they need to maintain that towing capacity with electric vehicles. What's, what could be very interesting is, is how fast this, this fleet turns over. And then, you know, what's the cost situation? So, you know, are they going to be priced so high that people continue to, to just turn over the old gas or diesel trucks because they can't afford the new electric? But I think, you know, as uh, fuel cell technology um, advances, I think you'll see, we've already seen with this with Tesla that the average price of their vehicles are actually going down as they ramp up production. So we'll see what, what goes on, but it's gonna be a very interesting late summer. I think we're gonna see a lot of these um, electric vehicles actually hit the road. Um, and that's where, that's where we're, I, I'm sure we'll see all kinds of testing on their tow capacity. I think that, I think that you know, they'll, they'll get killed if they, if they can't tow. I mean, what do you think, Larry? I, I'm totally in agreement with you. Uh, not only that, but under load, how long will they last? That's another yes. concern. Yeah. And is the charging infrastructure there? 
because you know our folks are not you know driving around uh, su suburbia where there's charging stations. They're going to be out in the hinterland. Yeah, that's I was about to say that it's going to be a little difficult. I don't think it's going to be shift that quick. But I'm interested to see what's going to happen actually with RV. You know, like industry, would they bring some type of electric engines for like minivans or something? Probably they will come up with something for younger generation who will buy it. So well, some of the manufacturers have done, you know, uh, Winnebago has an electric motorhome. Um, they still have a lot of work to do on that as far as the range goes. Um, there's been some other announcements, you know, but the motorhome business is really driven by the chassis business, right, Larry? I mean, absolutely. they have to, they have, if the chassis makers are going one way, that's the way they, the RV industry has to go because not very many build their own chassis, right? That's a fact. Well, it's a lot of exciting news right now, and I can see how much we're all excited. So coming up, talking about excitement, actually, it's RVDA in Vegas Expo coming up. We're all super excited. Finally, we can do this in person and see, actually, everybody in person is going to be, I think, the, one of the best, you know, RVDA event, you know, for the past, I don't know how many years, you know. So what is your expectations for, you know, RVDA for upcoming November? Well, we've gotten a lot of interest early on from workshop presenters. We had, a, I don't know, 100 plus workshop uh, presenters or topics proposed. We're still sorting through that. Um, so that was good interest. We've got great interest from the exhibitors who haven't seen um, dealers smiling faces for over a year in some cases. So that's, um, that's gonna be exciting. And I think, uh, you know, we're, we're really looking, we really need to look forward. Uh, and I think that's gonna be the time for uh, RVDA to help that conversation within the industry. What's next? We're gonna be entering a post COVID environment. Probably, you know, I'm an optimist. So I think we're gonna be there more quickly than maybe some, but what are we gonna do next? What's our, what's our plan for sustaining the growth for keeping these new buyers we have and what is our industry's plan to right. support those buyers and to grow our industry uh, in the future. I think, you know, those are, those are big issues. And um, plus with all the, you know, all the things that we've been talking about as far as what the vendors are doing, as far as new, um, new tools for dealers to use. Um, it should be a great, great event. So um, how do you think RVE Mastermind, you know, um, network, all of our network can impact RVE industry? Well, I think, you know, right now um, we, we need to sustain each other as an industry, right? We talked a little bit about this in RECT, how every little piece of the puzzle impacts that. And so for the long-term improvement of the industry, especially with things changing so fast mm -hmm. and the tools that we have, the digital tools to interact with each other through Zoom and other things, you know, podcasting and all these things that have come up, why not? Why not interact? Why not share knowledge? Not proprietary information or right. anything like that, but, you know, things that can help people do a better job for everybody in the industry because you know your customer today could be 
in Wyoming tomorrow. It's just the nature of the business. So if we can all kind of have this idea that we're all you know, in this together and we all have to support each other's customers, then why wouldn't we wanna exchange information through, through RVDA, through 20 groups, and through individual groups like this RV Mastermind uh, project. So, you know, I just think it's, it's great. I, I would love to see us be able to carry some of this into the convention with um, some of the, you know, some of the new ideas, some of the younger folks that have entered the industry over the last 10 years, you know, Larry and I are kind of gray beards and we know that there's a lot of people that have come in over the last 10 years that have new ideas, better ways to do things, more efficient ways to do things that will help dealers profitability and help the end user enjoy the unit more. Well, I'm sure hope we can bring this to also to Expo and uh, make sure that everybody, you know, like working together. Like to me, what I hear is the biggest one that I understand. We need to help each other to introduce customer even more to this lifestyle, right? Uh, even right now, everybody deal with the service issues and there is some, you know, like problems there and there. All we need to do through this time is keep telling the story, everybody together, how great is lifestyle, that we are there for them, right? And how we can assure that the customer experience before, during and after purchase, right, will be great. So that's kind of um, my goal right now as well. So do you think it's, uh, uh, would you suggest the dealerships to join that network, RVEM network? Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, certainly dealers know the power of collaboration and they have for, for years, right? And so there's, there's overall collaboration that can happen at the dealer level, but also, you know, at the individual level too. Mm -hmm. You know, you meet people, you, you, you know what's going on in the industry. Um, you know, there's been more information, I think, in the last year and a half come out from all these studies. I mean, Thor's doing studies. Oh, KOA. yeah. Uh, we have this big Go RVing uh, uh, study that came out this spring that we're, we're still going to be drilling down into that to get more information to folks. Um, so there's a lot of information out there. And it's, but with all that comes, okay, what's the context? Right. You know, you shoot all this information at people, but what does it really mean? And so how can we put it in context for folks and, and kind of separate the wheat from the chaff to give them, give people the best information we can. And, you know, we try to do that at RVDA, but, all, you know, God knows we don't have all the answers and no individual dealership has all the answers. So let's work together. Let's, uh, you know, the rising tide can lift all boats. We've certainly seen that and we need to keep keep working together on that. I mean, Larry, what, what are you, what's your thought about that? I mean, you're, you've been, uh, you've been around a long time for, for some of this stuff. I, I, I saw such a need for it, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I know of uh, things that I've been in that all require non-competes and you're not allowed to talk about anything you're learning. And I think there's a single, uh, you know, dealerships that aren't part of the corporate conglomerate that you were we're seeing right now that could benefit from that, that really don't uh, you know, uh, compete uh, with each other. Uh, and even if they do, we're not going to give any trade secrets away in a conversation, but uh, 
I mean, if we're seeing a trend and everybody starts talking about it, yeah, I'm seeing that too. I'm seeing that too. All that can do is help us to, to stay ahead of the game and better, com uh, better compete, I think, with some of the big guys. Right. Well, you, you kind of see it as open source, right? You know, absolutely <laughs> open source. Uh, right. Christia, you know, it's, yeah. it's uh, elephant and everybody elephant. competes, everybody competes, right? Everybody yeah. competes, but there's still things that, uh, you know, the dealers share. I mean, the idea that dealers don't compete with each other, uh, they, they all are competing all the time, but certainly uh, there are things that we can work together on. But it's you know, normal, so, right? Yeah. You said it's good. It's a good thing. That's the nature of a business and it's normal. We should be competing right with each other, no matter what it is, what type of market it is. But the more thing, what I believe it's, since like we speak, you know, already talked about it, there's such a big gap in technology and in needs right now, we have to shift it, right? And most of the dealership don't know what to do with this information. You know, yeah, you can get somebody knock at your door, say, hey, we have a this shiny, this shiny, this preparatory, buy, 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 use it lack of training and it's so hard sometimes for dealerships to choose this right to understand what's working what's not and it will be so much better if we all speaking together we can bring new technology actually ask questions find how to do it how to use it show if it's needed or not right because it's uh, right now it's unknown also i think another problem is it's a trainings right so if you onboard some new technology or new processes what do you do with it like, is there anything available right now? So it should be, or it just, you know, like when you have some third party coming in and just, you know, pitch you something, sell you something, it sounds good because A, A dealership, B dealership using it, let's use it too, right? But what do you do with it? Do you have a, a means to train your teams? Can you uh, cross department, can you do cross departmental training? Because some of, you know, technology and processes, they involve everybody, right? If you're talking about customer experience, it's involved every department, right? So that's, I think this is big need um, and I hope we can fulfill it somehow all together. You know, that's my goal. Right, coordination between the departments is a huge issue. Get out of the silos, see everybody, you know, as much as you possibly can to, to get them through the buying process in a, in a way that makes them happy with the dealership. You know, the other thing about this is, um, there are so many user groups out there and now there's influencers and they, mm. you know, our customers are out there talking about everything, right? They're out there right now talking about, you know, how to light a campfire, how to do this, how to do that. The dealerships have an opportunity through, through something like that to talk about th what they're doing to improve the entire industry. And I think that's, you know, we shouldn't lose sight of that because you know, other folks and, you know, that are the user groups and the influencers, you know, their van life and, you know, there's like people out there towing a, 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 a motor or a, 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 they're towing a trailer with a Tesla right now and posting it all over YouTube, you know, and we can share things like that, like, wow. I mean, so if you have these objections to the lifestyle or something is something negative or something positive, you've got just another tool in your toolbox to counteract that or say, well, you know, somebody's doing this this way. And have you ever thought of that? And, uh, you well, know, those I'm kind sorry. of things are, those kind of things we do at the convention, but this allows you to do it maybe a little bit more often. We have actually put into together 
a forum for membership and opening different groups and social media so people can share experiences, just like you say. They'll be private only for dealerships, so there will be no customers coming in, right? And we're going to make sure we have a control of that. With that said, you know, like we said, we were talking about competition, right? And all that is good and great indication, but we have one thing in common. If your customers stop full in love with this lifestyle, right? If they stop putting message or serve them, they just get disappointed. They will move on to something else. So our job as a, you know, industry to make sure that we hear these messages, you know, like you say, from the customers when they're talking between each other and we actually do something, you know, to make sure that we provide them services, you know, product, what they want and um, anything else, like, you know, it's supposed to be supported. We also, a lot of times I see dealerships, they, they're talking about new trends, right? They talk about TikTok, they talk about this and that and that, like, you know, social media, uh, new CRMs, new that, new that, but really there is no training or it's a training inside the industry, which is, we're not good at it, let's be honest, right? So I think what I would like to take opportunity is and bring somebody top from different industries, right? To actually show how it's supposed to be done. You know, and then we can talk, everybody can talk together and say, okay, how are we gonna apply this to our industry and provide as many tools as we can. That's what we great. Hey, I know um, we ran out of time and I wanna say, uh, well, first of all, thank you again, Phil. Uh, you're awesome and your knowledge, it's amazing. I learned a lot from you and I'm honored to become a young executive for VDA and I hopefully I'll bring some value with that program as well. Um, and I'm looking forward for many more you know, like conversations like this with you. And uh, before we say bye, um, you know, I always want to give an opportunity to somebody like yourself, right? If you could um, leave the short message to all dealers, like the whole dealership executives, uh, salespeople, you know, like service people, anybody there, right? What it will be? Do you have any message for everybody to, you know, to put it on the wall? You know, I'll print some stickers for it. <laughs> Right. Well, first of all, you know, thank you to the frontline employees for, you know, this unprecedented period of sales and service activities that we've gone through. I mean, it has been unbelievable the amount of work that, uh, that has gone in at the front lines on the dealerships during a time when many people were staying home and doing their jobs. And they went in, they were designated essential services. They kept customers on the road uh, during a time when they didn't have other vacation opportunities. So number one, thanks to all those frontline employees and the management that supported them uh, over the last uh, you know, 16 months or so. It's been, it's been quite a ride. But I'd also say, I think the best is yet to come. I mean, we've got a lot of um, potential out there. And like I said, you know, dealers are making investments in their sales and service capacity. So I, I do believe that uh, we're going to see great things in the future. We just have to, again, work together, keep our customers we've got, go out and get those new uh, SUV and light truck owners to at least get them interested in RV travel. And then all work to support our campgrounds so that they have places to go to, you know, whether it's public or private campgrounds, stay behind the outdoor recreation industry as we try to improve uh, those opportunities. And I think future is very, very bright. 
That's awesome. Well, we all, I also want to say thank you to our VDA and to you as well for giving such a huge support, you know, to our dealerships and for be, for care. You know, you do care. I can see this and you guys working very hard. And I know uh, it wasn't easy to put together, like, you know, like right now, all these events for November and you guys working very hard and I really appreciate you, everything that you do. Without you, I'm going to be that easy. I don't think we're going to be even able to do anything without you, to be honest. So thank Absolutely. you again. Thank you again. And um, hopefully I'll see you soon. And uh, Larry. Bill and Christina, I can't say enough about uh, how much I appreciate the opportunity to be here as well. Uh, and we appreciate you. You are the one after. And lastly, I'm going to say something. I don't know, I'm running out of time. I got to say that you are a gentleman. This is actually an example of a very great professional executive and leaders. For me, it's most important that the leaders. I'm a female in the, whatever they call the boys club, you know, like I came from the car industry and all that stuff. And I have to say to any ladies who is watching, you know, watch this. There is no problems like that. There is some problems for sure, but there is no problem like this when it comes to feel and Lady McNamara. So uh, definitely I appreciate you guys for, and I know I'm not only by myself, you know, who want to say thank you to you and for supporting young talent, you know, and for uh, supporting female in this industry as well. So thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Bye everybody. Bye everybody.